Thank you for joining us for the 539 Church Podcast. 539 Church is a new church in Goodyear Heights, Ohio, that's inviting friends into family. If you live in the Northeast Ohio area, we'd love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. For more information about us, including our service times and live stream information, check out the links in our show notes or visit us online at 539.church. That's F-I-V-E 39.church. Please take a moment to subscribe and share this podcast with a friend. Now, if you've ever led a middle school Bible study, let me tell you, it takes about a lot long for the silence to break and someone to answer. Just going to say, trust me, I used to be that guy. We're high energy and then boom, all of a sudden we get serious. <laughs> Nothing. Not a word. You're, you're pulling teeth. You're like, you're wrenching it out of there. I've been there. But like, that was uncomfortable, wasn't it? Was that uncomfy? That was weird. That was tough. That was weird. It's okay. You guys can throw that at me. I know. I know. Silence can be tough. It's uncomfortable. I mean, many times I think silence is powerful, but silence can also be painful. I mean, we sat for one minute. It was like 60 seconds. It might have been a couple more. I might have liked it too much. But that was one minute, right? What did you guys feel? What were you thinking? I mean, on Sunday morning, like if someone's coming up to, to speak, right, that that word speak usually involves words, right? I mean, that, that might be your expectation, But when periods of silence hit our lives, they can be uncomfortable. They can be confusing. Sometimes they can even be painful. On another note, like, let me ask you this. Have you ever felt like God has stopped talking to you at a point in your life? Like he stopped moving, like he stopped working in a way that you could recognize? In my junior year of college, my life was full of warmth. I had my lovely fiance Sarah. I had a great band of brothers, a lot of good friends. I had some kind mentors. I mean, my studies were great. I really just enjoyed being there. And having only started a relationship with Jesus in my senior year of high school, I mean, he'd been really kind to me. He was just providing all that I needed every step of the way. He took care of my heart. But let me tell you, even though there's beaming warmth pouring into my life in many places, there was a certain coldness that it ended up gripping my mind. There was this stale, sharp, pointed assault that began to overpower my thoughts. I think of like a barrage of arrows, you know, you're pulling them back and there they go, right into my mind. That's what it felt like. You know, quickly and and fiercely, I felt like my mind had been hijacked. I don't know if anyone has ever felt that before, but it's like someone took a hard drive, plugged it right into my brain, started downloading all these viruses. And then all of a sudden, like the desktop of my mind was foggy. It was confusing. I didn't know how to work through it. Like it was hard to see through the mess of my thoughts. And these thoughts, they came in waves. You know, whether they were intrusive thoughts, maybe they were lies directly from the enemy or just pure confusion. There were days where I felt like I was drowning. I was drowning. And regardless of what came my way, the target was often the same. It's my relationship with Sarah. The thoughts were, they they compete with the voice of truth in my life. And they would shout declarations, kind of like this. You and Sarah will never be allowed to marry. Or you will mess everything up and tarnish this relationship. Or this will only end in failure. There's no hope for you both. And the last one, I love this. God desires you to give up. Walk away. Quit while you can. And I was like, come on, man. Like, really? Like, that was tough. 
it's tough to wrestle with thoughts like that. Feel under attack by these kinds of things. And the worst part was, there was a period in time where I was so confused that I almost believed the thoughts. And I felt as though when I approached God, I was left in the quiet, left in silence. So for me, silence was a painful time. I felt like God had stopped speaking to me in my life. It seemed as though there was no answer. And that was just a season. Right? Can you guys imagine 400 years of silence? Right? Today we're going to enter Luke chapter 1 and join with ancient Israel 2,000 years ago. Just before the Lord begins a new work in the gospel, we're going to join in on the final moments of a projected 400-year period of silence. Right? For context, the time between Old and New Testament from Malachi, which is the last book written in the Old Testament, to the, the Gospels, it's a projected 400 years margin there. Where the Lord, not that he didn't move, but no new scripture was written, no new revelation, no prophets commissioned. It was a form of silence. And so imagine like, well, Israel wonder, like, man, I've been seeing God work here and here, and even when we're bad, he still punishes us, and we, we can see it, like he's moving. It's like, wow, this is great, and we can share this. But after these many works, there was a time where in one sense or another, you went silent. And in the silence, like you're left at a standstill and you're left to wonder, like, what's going to happen next? And so this is where we find ourselves today. We get to join with ancient Israel, the people of God, in the early chapters of Luke. And those chapters, I mean, they tell a familiar story, one I bet we're all familiar with. So we're not going to visit that part of the story. It's the Christmas story. We're going to kind of look at the chapters before Jesus is born with a crowd we may or may not recognize. So rather than merely recapping on the Christmas story, we're going to enter a new series called All Tied Up. Right? We're going to zero in on specific characters of the Christmas story. Because right? the characters of the Christmas story, they're really just the conduits for God's purpose. They're the supporting cast for the Savior. And as we look at the story, we're going to see that they play a significant role but they themselves might not be spiritually significant people, right? Their lives were messy. You know, their faith was weak. They had to, they wrestled, they struggled, and yet God still uses them. Amen. Have you ever felt like you were insignificant at times? Like your life was insignificant? You know, maybe you didn't feel like a spiritual giant, like you're coming down, you're crushing every problem there is. I mean, maybe it is. Maybe someday we really do wrestle. Like the day-to-day has become mundane at times. And we see in this story, the Christmas story, that God uses the least likely people. I mean, he uses you and I, people who struggle, who wrestle, who are in the toughness of life. And he uses them to to serve as the supporting cast. Their lives weren't random, but they were tied up in the Christmas story to serve as a supporting cast for the Savior. In the same way, the stories of our lives aren't random accidents. They're divine instruments that God is going to use to show his goodness Right, to, to reveal his promises. He's going to use our lives. We're all tied up for the purpose of God. But today, before we get into that, let's jump back into the period of silence. Before Mary and Joseph, before Jesus. We're going to begin right at the start of the gospel. We're really verse 5 of Luke. So if you don't recognize these people, it's going to be Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. Let's hear more about them in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. 
and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them are righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were considered righteous, right? They're followers of the Lord. They're seeking him. I mean, he's even in ministry, right? I mean, he's reading the text. He's seeking the Lord like he's in it. But even they, they weren't without their struggles. They wrestled too. And it's clear that even those who follow God still need to learn to trust him. So as we continue in verse 8, it says this. Once Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So let me set the scene. Caleb, can we throw up the picture? This here is the temple, right? And what we're about to enter into is like a huge moment. So let's just take this. Let's imagine like this guy, Zechariah, he's going to go through and he was selected to go and burn, offer incense on the altar. So this is a huge thing. So the altar of incense, basically, we're, we're still operating at Old Testament principles here, right? Because Jesus hasn't come yet. And so the priest is going to go to offer incense in prayer on behalf of Israel, the nation. So the altar of incense reminded Israel to pray and that their prayers were sweet smelling to God. So that's what Zechariah is going to do here. And on top of that, like the priests only got to go do this once in their life. Like this isn't like a weekly thing. This is huge. There were so many divisions. I mean, there's a lot of different priests. And so for him to go and do this, Caleb threw up the 3D render model. Boom, like this is kind of cool. This is like, I mean, this is a moment. And so Zechariah is about to go up and offer incense. So let's imagine, right? He goes in, he burns incense, the sweet smell to the Lord, and he's praying for the people of Israel. And then this, verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled. He was gripped with fear. I mean, he's, you know, he's doing a huge thing, but like imagine your quiet time, right? You're kind of reading, you're praying, and bang, like an angel of the Lord appears. Like you're like, what's going on? Like, this is a big moment. Verse 13 says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. Right? It's implied that Zechariah probably prayed for Israel as a nation. Absolutely. I almost guarantee you. I mean, he probably also had a second petition for a child. He likely prayed hundreds of times over his whole life. Over and over, his wife with Elizabeth, right? He was praying over and over. And it was in this moment that God assured him his prayers had been heard. So the angel continues, he says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you're to call him John. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to their Lord, their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Right, so in this moment, God has an announcement to the people left in silence, wondering what's going on. This is the announcement that God has a plan. And that through the silence, there's a divine disruption, right, that reminds people that God is over everything. Right, so through the silence and the struggle, the waiting, 
the wandering, God has a plan. And the question is for his people, will he, will we trust that he's actually going to bring it to pass, that he's going to make it happen? All right, so what in the world was I just saying? I, I said a lot of things. We went through a lot. Gavin speed a bunch. I know you're probably right. But the key here is this, is that God was pronouncing to Zechariah, hey, in your old age, even though your wife seemed barren, you're going to be given a son. And this son would be filled with the Holy Spirit before birth, commissioned with a divine mission to turn hearts of the people back to God, to make ready the, the way of the Lord. This would be the last prophet commissioned before Jesus. And so John the prophet is to turn the hearts of the people back to God, to make ready a people for the Lord. Basically, in one sentence, God was announcing his divine rescue mission, and John would be the one to prepare the way for the great rescuer. Now, as we jump back in, after God reveals this nature, this huge, awesome plan that we're like, yeah, let's get on board with it. You know, Zechariah, he's probably like, whoa, I'm ready. Like, I believe you, Lord. Like, come on, I've been waiting. That's not what he said. Verse 18, Zechariah asked this question. Simple, believable, probably something that probably had I respond, honestly. He says this, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife, she's well along in years. Like, how, how can I be sure of this? He doubted, right? He lacked faith. It's a simple yet believable response. But even the priests, right? The ones who are in the word and they're seeking the Lord, even they struggle, man. Even they doubt, right? This is us. We lack faith at times. We lack trust in God. We lack trust in his word at times. That's just reality. But in this instance, like Zechariah's lack of trust leads to a very dramatic scene. Like it's a, it's a thing that happens. It's a moment, right? The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And he continues verse 20. Now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Zechariah fails to see the bigger picture. He doesn't see the bigger story of how God has moved in his life in the past and he's going to move again. He struggled to see that. And so one commentator writes this. I love it. He says, the angel tells Zechariah, in effect, just be quiet for a while and watch God work. Just be quiet and watch him work. Right? It was right here where God, he was like, all right, Zechariah, like, I love you. You're awesome. I'm going to sit you on the sideline for a minute. Boop. And that was it. He just sat him right over here. Right? And he couldn't speak. And he likely couldn't hear, but he could use his eyes. He could watch. Right? And God promised something and made Zechariah silent so he could watch the Lord work. And the sequence of events to follow in Zechariah's life are ones we probably all are going to face at one time or another. And they have one larger purpose in mind. So just as Zechariah did, we must learn to trust in God, believing he will bring his promise to pass. To learn to trust in God. Right through the story of Zechariah, the Lord provides for us, as followers of, of Christ, a, a window. He gives us a window to look through and to see how to learn to trust. How are we going to learn how to trust in God? So today we're going to explore three different seasons and how they often occur in our lives so we, can we too can learn the lesson of trusting in God. So season one, 
the first season the Lord brings Zechariah through is the one he was already in. It's a season of waiting. Season of waiting. Whether patiently or impatiently for God's word to come to pass. Or this can best be understood when we reflect on the times in our lives where either we ask God to move or we ask him to move quicker. And we got one or two responses. No, maybe even worse, wait. Oh, every time, every time, the wait, that kills. I mean, heck, you could, from, from like, whether it's when I'm a kid and I'm waiting in between Thanksgiving and Christmas, that stinks. Or you fast forward to now, and some of the things that sting and disappoint most in life is when God says, wait, whatever it is, whatever you desire, and he says, wait. Right, so how do you deal with the, the stings of, of wait in your life? Maybe that brings disappointment. Maybe that brings pain. For the sessions of prayer, begging out to God, maybe they go unanswered. Maybe you feel like he doesn't hear you. Right? The, the pleas and the hopes that we yearn for God to respond to just feels like he, whoop, like he just hung up the phone. You know what I mean? He, he just slammed it and that was it. As he feels that way. I want to throw you back to earlier. This is verse 13. I love this. But do you remember the angel says, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. That was the word of the angel. So I want to take a moment to address those prayers, right? The one when you're subject to life in silence, in waiting, in hopelessness, the prayers you kind of chuck up to God and like, please catch them. Like you're hoping, but it feels hopeless. I want to address those prayers. The ones you thought he forgot in the same words right here of the Lord. Your prayer has been heard. Amen. Your prayer has been heard. So no prayer is left uncollected, ignored, or abandoned. No heart is left behind. Right? Jesus hears you. He loves you even in seasons of silence and waiting. And frankly, God never guarantees the life will come without pain, but the keys are response. Right, we got to be weary of being engulfed with bitterness. I mean, I know sometimes I can wrestle with that. Where it's like, God, come on, man. Like, I, I thought you were good. You know, just like, just like we're saying, like, I thought you were good. Sometimes when he doesn't work on my clock, bitterness grows. And it saps the joy out of life. And on the other hand, during the seasons of waiting, we could also choose to trust. We could choose to trust. Because that will cause us to find fulfillment that we couldn't find otherwise. Right? It sticks us to God like glue. It binds us to him, makes us close to him. If we trust, we have to depend. So God's timing, although likely different than our preferences, is wiser. And it begs us to learn to trust in God, believing he will bring his promise to pass. And so with the first season of Zechariah was led through being a season of waiting, let's continue in the next verses and see how that unfolds. Verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, warning why he stayed so long in the temple, like checking their clocks, like, hello. But when he came out, he couldn't speak. Like, oh boy. He realized he'd seen a vision in the temple. He had an encounter with God. For he kept making signs to them. But he remained unable to speak. And when this time of service was completed, Zechariah returned home. Probably a little while later, but verse 24 says, After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. Waiting for five months, she remained in seclusion. 
In verse 25, Elizabeth says, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And to make this clear, childlessness was a disgrace in the culture, right? Because unfortunately, the worth of a woman was based off having a child or not. But let me be clear here, that being barren is not a punishment from the Lord. Like he doesn't speak infertility over your life to cause you pain without purpose. That's not the way that the Lord is moving. And in this story, God is doing a work of redemption. Like in this family, and the like, he's moving to give them a child to redeem their family. And your story might look different, but remember this, that God desires for us to trust him in the process, right? That he uses everything for a purpose. Everything is used for a purpose. So through the years of waiting and hundreds of prayers and nonstop begging the Lord, I would assume, Elizabeth becomes a, become pregnant with child. The Lord moves in her life and begins a work to fulfill his promise to his people, which leads us to the second season. And this one's the main event. This one's good. This is the season of watching. When the waiting comes to the end and we finally get to watch God move, right? This is the one we've been waiting for. We're like, all right, thank you, Lord. Like we get to see him, right? And so verse 57 in Luke says this. I know it's a little bit of a jump. But when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, right? And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. You know, the people around the family, they're like, hey, you should name Zechariah. Mother was like, no, he used to be called John. Like, that's his name. That's what the angel said. They said, there's, there's no relatives in your family that have been called John. Like, okay, well, what about, what about dad? What does Zechariah think? He can't speak. He can't hear. So they hand him a tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, in this wax tablet, he wrote, his name is John. And the angel instructed Zechariah to call the baby this. This is an act of simple obedience. Right? Zechariah, having waited this whole time, I mean months, like you're just silent, you're watching this whole thing go down. With his mouth silenced and his tongue stilled, he still named the baby John. He believed what the Lord had said. It's in this moment Zechariah trusted in the Lord. He learned that God's promises will come to pass. And Zechariah was not only learning the lesson of trust, but now he wants to take part of the mission of God. He wants to take part in the movement of God. He says, that's John. I believe what you said, Lord. And get what, get, guess this. In that exact moment, verse 64 says this. Immediately, his mouth was opened. His tongue was set free, and he began to speak what? Praising God. Praising God. So that although it's easy in seasons of, of waiting to desire to be in the boardroom of heaven, calling the shots, be like, Lord, this is how, you know, six o'clock, this is going to happen, and this is what I think works best for me. You know, we kind of like to order it. We, we wish that could be the case. When the seasons of watching and fulfillment come, we realize his timing, way better than ours. Way better than ours. In this period of watching the Lord, Watching, the Lord reminds us the word to learn to trust in God, believing he will bring his promise to pass. But little do we realize, once our time of waiting flows into a, a time of watching the Lord, something is required of us. The third season the Lord brings Zechariah through is a season of witnessing. 
where our waiting concludes. We've seen God move and now we're free to shout. We're free to proclaim his goodness to others. All right, verse 67, John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Right, he's singing a praise song here. But right, once God moves, similarly to Zechariah, like we have to respond. And that response, it determines everything. Right, because what we could do is see God move and predetermine, like, oh, well, that's, that's not really how I wanted it to work out. You know, and we could whine about it. You know, and that, that's, that's a true response. Or we could worship. Be like, God, you know what? I, I see you move and I thank you for it anyway. I know that life is still tough in some ways, but God, you've moved. So let me to thank you. You know, we could wander around looking for other things and maybe other answers. We're like, oh, we're not satisfied. We'd be like, you know what, God? Help me to witness and say, oh, I saw you move. I'm going to tell somebody about it because you've been good to me. Will we respond to the Lord with praise and draw ourselves and others to him? That's the question. And this season is perfect for that. The one that we're entering, right? It's, it's the winter month of December. And it's the time that, man, it's prime time. But I want you to do something with me real quick. Take a moment and close your eyes. I promise I'm going to stay up here. I'm not going to do anything. Close your eyes. And think of someone in your life who's struggling. Someone who needs hope. Maybe that's you. Right? Who needs the light of Jesus to shine on the difficulties in their life. Open your eyes. What better time is there to share the light of Jesus than right now? Right now, the Christmas season, right here. The people whom you pictured being intentional. Maybe that's inviting them to church. Maybe that's going to get a coffee. Maybe that's, man, we're going to watch our favorite Christmas movie. Maybe I'm going to mention Jesus to them. Maybe I'm just going to listen. See, how are they doing? What do they need? How can I care for them? Right, but this place right here is a hospital. So let's bring them here. Let's bring them here. Jesus is what they need to bring to the feet of Jesus. So this is our charge is to witness to the world. And it starts with our neighbor, the one right next to us. So as we finish in Luke, Zechariah exclaims this, verse 76, another little jump here. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. It was here where Zechariah's eyes were opened to see the bigger picture of the Lord. Realize that the struggles he and his wife had, they weren't random. They weren't abandoned. Their struggling wasn't without purpose. The Lord moved in the most unlikely moments to pave a way for a prophet to be born through this family. He was working through this family. And that prophet was John the Baptist. He's the very one who was to make the way for the rising sun, Jesus, who would shine on those living in darkness and lead all to peace. And in the same way, the stories of our lives aren't random accidents. They're divine instruments played out to reveal the goodness of God and his purposes. And through our stories, we're led through these periods, these seasons, we're invited to grow. 
In some seasons, they may be shorter or longer, and they often happen cyclically. We go into one and we leave another, we go into one and leave another, but God is always moving, whether we realize it in the moment or not. So, during my junior year of college, being stuck in silence, stuck in the pain of waiting, I cried out to the Lord, and I begged for guidance. And although I felt that God was silent, through wise counseling, I was led to see some things I, I couldn't on my own. And firstly, the intrusive thoughts against my relationship weren't from God, the Prince of Peace. Rather, than, rather they were from the father of lies. I mean, the devil came knocking, desiring to steal, kill, and destroy. The reality is that but the devil attacks most heavily the Lord plans to use mightily. And that could be in many different ways in your life, but he likes to attack what the Lord wants to use. So I tried to lean into this fight. And guess what I started doing, right? I started by begging God to just take it away. Just take, clean that out, and boop, boop, gone, right? That's what I want. That's probably what we all want. Just get it out of here. I pleaded over, over, day by day, week by week, month by month. But the struggle and the wrestle remained. And the thoughts would attack in waves, right? Sometimes they were silenced. Sometimes they were replaced with truth. And other times they swallowed me right up. At times, those intrusive thoughts attacked my relationship. And anxiety sent me into a depressive fog where I felt like there was a weight on my soul. And at its worst, I mean, it was wrestling with panic attacks and trying to figure out like what is going on within me. But see, walking this out with the Lord in community with friends and with a counselor was a process of progression. And within this, I was sitting in a season of waiting and learning how to sit. And I can't tell you how badly I wish it all disappeared but what I learned through my waiting is that I must learn to trust in God, believing he will bring his promise to pass. And over a year later, Sarah and I got married. And I remember during our ceremony, we had a worship set and we took a moment just to praise Jesus, right? To sing to him. And there was a time when we were right at the front and everyone was behind us singing. We were just worshiping. And I remember clearly thinking this, man, this is a glimpse of heaven just all of God's people singing and praising the Lord. And right now we just get to watch them work. And we just thank God because he did this. We couldn't have on our own strength, but yet he was here and he moved. And so I entered a moment of, of watching the Lord after a long period of waiting and hoping and wondering. And here right now is a part of my story. I get to walk in a season of witnessing to brothers and sisters in Christ and to say, he led me through. He's leading me through. It's still a process. And he will do that with you. He will lead you through every step of the way. Right? Jesus is active. He's on the move. And I stand here now and I joyfully declare, like, this is a witness to God of how good he is. And I share it with you to encourage you that he's still moving. God, right now. If you can do it with me, why not you? Right? I'm, I'm just like everyone else. He's moving. So wherever you find yourself today, Remember that your story isn't random. It's merely just unfolding for God's purpose. So where are you in the process, right? What season is God leading you through? Is it one of waiting upon the Lord in, in silence? Is it one of watching the Lord move? Or is it one of witnessing to others of his faithfulness to you? Or reflect on your own life and ask yourself, how will I respond to how God is working in my life.
the Lord has moved. He's going to move again. But let me tell you, he's, he sent Jesus, right? And he came to save us from our brokenness. Have you responded to him? One scholar said this. I love this quote here. I'm about to close. It said, following Jesus is a lifelong journey of the heart. Right? A journey guided by one's allegiance to the morning star who not only goes before us, but shows us the way to reflect God is to refract his character in ever-growing ways. Right? When we put our full trust in Jesus, we no longer lean on our own strength. But as Zechariah sings, he guides our feet into the path of peace. He guides our feet. Our stories remind us to learn to trust in God, believing he'll bring his promise to pass because he's seen us through and he'll do it again. Let me end with this. Through all of our waiting, watching and witnessing, there will come a day when Jesus returns to bring full restoration. Full restoration. Every tear wiped away. The waiting will be finished and the witnessing and the worshiping will be forever. So pray with me. Jesus, we thank you for the ways that you've moved and are moving. Help us to to learn the lesson of trust through Zechariah's story. Teach us how to wait well, how to watch you, and then how to witness to other people. Lord, we thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And before we head on to the next thing, I know I'm the king of that. just want to encourage you guys to sit with me for a moment and just to reflect on how God is moving. How will you respond to him? So just enter this time of silence with me.